Hello, everyone. This is Joe Turner, host of the City Manager Unfiltered podcast. And what you're about to listen to is probably going to be the most significant and important episode of this podcast I ever release. I sincerely believe that. It's going to feature an interview between myself and James Freed, the Port Huron, Michigan City Manager, who was publicly censured and stripped of his credential by the ICMA in June of 2022. He has since filed a defamation lawsuit against the organization that is working its way through the court system, and we're going to unpack some of that today. In the first half of the episode, we're going to give you background on how we got to this point. And in the second half of the episode, uh, James is going to draw from court documents that were received through discovery, as well as uh, refer to sworn testimony given under oath during depositions provided by uh, CEO Mark Ott, Martha Perego, and Jessica Cowles. I truly believe that after listening to this episode, you're going to be shocked and disgusted by what you learn about this organization and how it's treated one of our peers. Before we get to the episode, I want to play a 58-second clip from 2019 given by ICMA President Karen Pinkos at the 2019 Annual Conference in San Antonio. In this clip, Karen Pinkos states that the ICMA Code of Ethics is extremely important because, one, it sets the organization apart from any other with its high standards. Two, the organization and its members hold each other accountable. And three, the serious and grave impact, a negative action on the part of the CPC and the organization with respect to a public censure will have on someone's career. Now, after listening to this clip, I want you to decide whether or not you believe the organization has been holding itself accountable. I want you to decide whether or not you believe CEO Mark Ott has been holding staff accountable. And then I want you to ask yourself, what are you going to do to hold the ICMA and your fellow members accountable? There's a lot of talk about public sector executives being CEOs of their organization and speaking truth to power and being courageous and making the hard decisions. What I want to know is if any of you are going to go to the conference and directly confront ICMA staff members and executive board members and ask them, is what James Fried said in that podcast true? And don't let them get away with not answering. Don't let them get away with saying that this is in the middle of litigation and they can't speak on it. They have the depositions. They can release the depositions. Don't you as a member have a right to see those depositions? If they're not going to release the depositions, you must wonder, what are they hiding? So with that, here's the clip of Karen Pinkos, and please enjoy the rest of this episode. The Code of Ethics, as you all know, that's why you're all members, that sets ICMA members apart from every other local government organization. Why? Not just because we subscribe to this high ideal of ethics, but because we hold each other accountable. And that is a huge, important issue. And I'm looking at the chair of the CPC. The CPC stands for the Committee on Professional Conduct. The Committee on Professional Conduct of the board responds to reports of ethics violations in our membership. So if you know or you hear of someone who you believe is violating the code of ethics, you call ICMA or you have someone call ICMA or you send a nice note and you let them know of this violation, ICMA opens an investigation. This is a very confidential, huge due process issue um, because it is confidential and you're dealing literally with people's careers.
All right, I'm Joe Turner, and this is City Manager Unfiltered, a podcast by a city manager for city managers and other public sector executives. And uh, I got a, a special guest with us today. I've been waiting for this for many, many months. Uh, we got James Freed on the horn. We're going to talk about his uh, public censure and uh, lawsuit with the ICMA. And uh, James, it's been eight months or so. I've been wanting to have this uh, interaction with you. I want to talk about your story. Why now? What's, what's this, what, why are you on the podcast today after I've been trying to get you on for months and months? Well, thanks for having me, Joe. It's, uh, you know, it's one of those things where you want to talk about, but it's not the right time. Um, but I've wanted to share with my professionals, colleagues and the professional association, what happened to me and my family. And the reason why I'm here today, Joe, is to be quite frank, is my professional reputation is on the line. My being a city manager is how I provide for my kids and provide for my, my family. It's how I pay the mortgage. And I was wronged. I was accused falsely by my professional association of not implementing the laws. I was accused of being dishonest and unethical uh, when all of those are completely false. Joe, what I want managers across the country to realize is that I'm the only city manager in ICMA history that has been publicly censured for a social media post. Even though they testified under oath, other people had posted far more egregious stuff. Mine wasn't even really bad. People can read it. I am the only city manager in ICMA history to be publicly censured over a private email on a private listserv that the public didn't know about until they made it public. An email in which Mark Ott said under oath he couldn't explain it, what was wrong with it. And I am the only city manager in ICMA history that's going to be publicly censured over a non-existent vaccine mandate. Uh, so just real quick, I've been a city manager since 2008. I actually took my first city when I was 22. I have been doing this now 16 years. And at the time this happened, I was uh, a city manager for 14 years. I joined ICMA when I was in college, actually. I was doing my internship. And the city manager I was working under said, you should join the ICMA. It's really great for continuing education and most importantly, networking. So I actually joined as a student member uh, before I became a professional member when I took over my first community. Yeah. So you've been with the organization for quite a long time. And, you know, I kind of wanted to clear up some, maybe some possible misconceptions or perceptions out there about our relationship and our dynamic. You know, um, you and I had never met before until you reached out to me back in, I think, December, uh, where you informed me about your case. You had no personal relationship. I didn't know who you were, never had any interaction with you. And I think a lot of people have this sense that You've been feeding me all this information for months and months and months. And, and while we've had a lot of conversations, that's not actually the case. Um, and I think a lot of people think I have this anti-ICMA bent, which when I first started posting about uh, your situation, that wasn't the case. And so I want to kind of unpack a little bit on this for context for the viewers or for the listeners. Yeah. So I've, I've wanted to talk about it. And some of the things today I'm not going to be able to talk about because they're under a protective order that a judge has, has granted on some of this information. So you know, we'll be able to talk about some things and, and sometimes I, I won't be able to talk about it. But yeah, you and I are, I mean, to be quite frank, I'm, I'm not friends with you. I don't know you that right. well. Um, and uh, yeah, and so it, here's the thing. I, for 14 years, loved being a member of ICMA. I mean, I think, I think ICMA has immense value and still does. I mean, the networking, the professional development, the, the camaraderie, you know, I just love going to a conference and sitting down and having a drink with some other managers and just sharing war stories and how helpful that is just emotionally and, and spiritually and physically to a manager to, to be able to vet and hear other people's stories 
the professional development is great. The opportunities are there. So, you know, I, I, I'm a, I'm a company man. I, I love, I, I bought into the ICMA, the reason for it, the professional manager uh, philosophy um, for all of it. Let me say one more thing on this front. So, you know, a lot of people say, oh, Joe Turner's anti-ICMA. And, you know, I, I've gone back and looked at my posting history and until you and I connected, I had never said anything negative about ICMA in my LinkedIn pages. I didn't have a podcast back then, obviously. Uh, I've never been negative, publicly negative about ICMA at all. And I read your case and I reached out to you because you just we had just email conversation and I contacted you, James, and I said, you know, hey, this is a serious deal. Um, if I'm going to put my neck out on the line and vouch for you publicly, um, this is a big deal because for there's gonna be a lot of people listening to this episode who've never even are not familiar with the ICMA. They don't know what that means. But when you take a critical stand against the professional organization, which is the it's a they got monopolistic control over this profession, you're really putting your neck out on the line. And so I, I mean, we got members in our profession who won't even criticize recruiters, let alone the professional association. And so when I reached out to you, James, I was like, hey, you got to give me your word. And you're like, Joe, I can't, I can't share with you all the details. I can't give you all the nitty gritty of what I know and what this case is about, but I assure you, I give you my word that I'm telling you the truth that I've been wronged. And that's why I went to bat for you and I took a chance on you. And I'm very, I'm very happy that we're going to be able to get into the, the nuts and bolts of your case today. Well, I appreciate it. And uh, so for the folks listening, um, buckle up because uh, this is wild and it actually happened to me and my family. It's a true story. This is not based on a true story. This is a true story. So James, where's the best place to start with this conversation? Let's go um, back to November, 2018. Okay. So set, set no the stage for us. So in November, 2018, I am the city manager of Port Huron, Michigan, one of Michigan's largest communities. I am at home, uh, just checking Twitter, just browsing through Twitter. And I start seeing at this Twitter handle at ICMA ethics start posting like remarkably partisan stuff, like anti-Trump, anti-Republican, anti-pro-life liking. So when you like something that shows up in the feed. So of course I screenshot it. We start sending to a couple of the managers. Everyone starts talking like, why is the ICMA ethics clearly engaging in partisan politics on their Twitter handle? And this goes on for like, weeks. And I, and I'm not, I don't check Twitter that often. So like once it hits my radar, I start following it, like what else is getting posted. And so I'm like, well, we can't have this. Cause we are, we pride ourselves on being like a nonpartisan organization. And the reason why that's important is I work with Republicans and Democrats. And so it is, especially in the city of Port Huron, this is a very divided community, right? I have half Democrats, half Republicans. It is the city manager position really has to be elevated above partisan politics. And so I full heartedly believe that and always have. And that's not just James Fried saying that. That is tenet seven of the ICMA code of ethics. Yeah, absolutely. The, the organization absolutely. says, hey, we're not going to be engaged in politics. So I talked with a couple of managers. We all agree this is a problem. And so I decide to send a lady who I have never met and do not know named Martha Perego a, a letter, just snail mail or a letter. She is the, from what I understand, the, the director of ethics and was controlling the ICMA ethics handle at ICMA. So I'm going to actually read this letter because this is what essentially has led to three, four, five years of harassment and now public censure. So the letter I wrote is dated November 26, 2018. It says, Dear Martha Prego, I write to you as a proud member of the ICMA for more than 10 years. 
Our association is comprised of literally thousands of dedicated public executives from around the country and around the world. Membership in our association is not only a commitment to continuous professional development and growth, but also a statement of values comprised of our code of ethics. It is our commitment to the values of our code of ethics that I write to you today. I have become very alarmed and concerned about your social media activity, specifically your Twitter activity involving the account at ICMA Ethics. The activity on this account has, been, has become increasingly partisan, oftentimes liking hyper-partisan attacks on elected officials from the U.S. House of Representatives, the Senate, and the President of the United States. Our code of ethics, notably Tenet 7, quote, refrain from all political activities which undermine the confidence of our professional administrators, end quote. It is very clear that this activity is prohibited. I recognize that as administrative staff for the ICMA, you may not be professionally bound by the Association Code of Ethics. I also recognize your First Amendment rights to voice your own opinion on matters of, public, of politics and policy. However, the Twitter handle you have chosen, at ICMA Ethics, leads the public book to believe that this is some type of social media activity and behavior that represents the members of our association. It most certainly does not. I am requesting that you either delete or and unlike any political activity and statements that may conflict with our code of ethics or simply change the Twitter handle to something that does not represent ICMA. Thank you for your consideration. Sincerely, James Freed, ICMA member, 514601. So James, this is a letter you sent, a personal letter. This wasn't put out on a listserv. This wasn't nope. put out uh, in any sort of social media. You didn't call her out publicly. This was a personal letter that you sent to her and you simply said, hey, you're using a handle that has ICMA ethics in it, which is you know contradicts tenant seven. Please simply just either change the handle name or delete this content and refrain so, from further activity, right? So I sent the letter to Martha and to Mark Ott, the CEO okay. of ICMA. Okay. Additionally, because so so many managers in Michigan were talking about this, I'm a part of the Michigan Municipal Executives. I was a part of the Michigan Municipal Executives. And we have a confidential listserv, essentially a chat room for city managers, right? It's done via email, but it's equivalent to a chat room for city managers. I sent that email, that letter to the association. I said, hey, just FYI, I sent this out to Martha Pergo today. Okay. And then gotcha. manager, I mean, another manager wrote back, well, I don't have Twitter. What did she tweet? So I screenshotted all the hyperpartisan political activity and also sent out. I said, this is what we're referencing. So I'd say yeah, two or three weeks later, I hold a call with Mark Ott, the president of MME and the chair of the MME ethics committee. Well, let me, let me stop you there, James. So did you get any response from Martha after you sent that letter? So I got actually a response from Mark Ott. So okay. Mark Ott sent me a letter essentially saying he counseled Martha Pergo, and Prego, whatever, how you say her name. So he counseled her. So essentially took care of it in-house, which is fine. And then the Twitter handle, from what I was see, has since been deleted because um, I can't find it, has since been deleted. So the you know, problem solved, right? The issue right. is taken care of. So... Now, I don't know Martha, but word got back to her that it was put out over the listserv. So she was, I mean, probably embarrassed. Um, but, I mean, it was an issue that had to be addressed. You're using well, art. Well, let's, let's, let me, let's be clear on this, James, because, again, there's going to be a lot of people who are not familiar with the players, not familiar with ICMA. This is going to be a major podcast episode that goes out. 
Martha is not just some staffer working for ICMA. She is the ethics guru who'd been in that position for, I don't yes. know, a decade. I mean, she is the, she is the, she's the arbiter of what is ethical in the, yeah, for she, the ICMA. I mean, like, she's yeah, she, the, pro- she calls herself the ethics guru. Yeah. So this isn't just some random staffer or some low level staffer. This is the person that basically weighs in on ethics issues for the entire organization. And you've essentially highlighted the fact that she's being hypocritical. I just wanted the, the I just wanted the act, the political activity to stop on Twitter. I wasn't trying okay. to highlight anything. It's just like, this is making the association look bad in its members. So okay. Mark got, sends me back a letter. Like I counseled her, it's taken care of done. So a week or so later, we have a phone call with Mark out about a host of issues. One about membership, who can be a member. Some, I, essentially, I expressed concerns. I thought ICMA was becoming very partisan uh, and almost like a, a politically driven agenda. At that time, he goes, just so you know, I referred your letter to the Committee for Professional Conduct, the CPC. And I was like, all right, whatever. I, that's nothing I intended to do, but you're Mark Ott. You can do whatever you want. So that leads to... My first phone call from a gal named Jessica Cowles, and she is the ethics advisor. She is a direct report report to Martha Pergo. And and to bring us to current now, she uh, Perego has retired, and Jessica has been promoted into her position now. Correct, but at the time yep. she worked for Martha, she was the advisor. Yep. So she called me and she says, "Hey, I want to talk to you about an ethics complaint against you." And I immediately right there said, 14 years, I've been a city manager. I have never done anything wrong. And I have never had an ethics complaint filed against me. But now all of a sudden, you're, but now you all, got of one. Sudden, all of a sudden, I send Martha a letter, probably bring her a little embarrassment from the listserv. And I'm getting a phone call. So I said, I don't know what I said at the time. But I said, hey, can I call you back? Right? So I call you back. So I call back Jessica from my phone, my landline, and I'm able to record the phone call. Under Michigan law, I can record if you and I can, re, you can record a phone call if you're a party to it. Yeah. One party consent. Yeah. One party consent state. Yep. So I record the phone call and she advises me like, Hey, the committee, Mark referred the letter to the committee on professional conduct. And Oh, by the way, a couple of people at MME wanted us to look at this. So now the committee on professional conduct is essentially investigating me. <laughs> And I said, okay. I was like, still. So, Twilight like, Zone. This is yeah. The- I was like, I, to be clear, Jessica, like, I send a personal letter to Martha Pergo, and now you're telling me I'm under investigation. And she says, yes. I go, okay, what for? And she says, well, under tenant three, ethics investigations pending or ongoing ethics investigations must remain confidential. And she says, the issue becomes is you sent your letter out over listserv. And they're saying that, you know, you were discussing a ethics complaint on a, on a, on a, with, in the open. And I was like, well, there was no ethics complaint. I didn't file an ethics complaint. I simply sent Martha a letter. And she goes, well, then Mark Ott referred it to the CPC, so we're treating it like an ethics complaint. And I said, well, but that's... You, that's <laughs> okay, that's, but you didn't file it. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I, that, I mean, that's not my intention. I said, please advise the committee. I do not want to file an ethics uh, investigate, uh, complaint. I have never filed an ethics complaint on anybody. And Martha Perego and Jessica Cowles testified under oath to that, that I have never filed a complaint on anybody, nor would I. I mean, honestly, gosh, I have real problems to deal with, not, you know, diamond people out in the profession. 
let their mayor and council handle it. So I said, okay, well, so what do I need to do? She goes, well, I need you to send me a letter. I'm going to send you a letter and I want you to respond to it. I go, respond what? What? what you're, you're, what's your defense? And I'm like, well, there was no ethics complaint. I never filed one. So you're the ethics advisor. Just tell the CPC there was never an ethics complaint filed. And this is a done issue. That should be the end of the story, right, James? Because here's the deal. If you never formally filed an ethics complaint, then how could you violate tenant three by discussing... Well, I didn't. I don't even know who Martha was. I didn't know she was a member. She's a what? To me, she's a staffer. Well, and and you said that in your letter because you didn't know she was an ICMA member because you referred to as a staffer that you thought was even wasn't even actually subject or uh, had to abide by the code of ethics. And then the other thing is Jessica was the single person who would know if there was a complaint filed. Of course, was there a complaint filed? No. Okay, it's over. This led to a four point five month investigation. Now, we now know, which by the way, they wanted to censure me then. Um, I can't tell you what Jessica wrote in her report to the Committee on Professional Conduct about that phone call. And what was that, James? It's under a protective order. Okay. All right. Um, We're going to bring that out at trial. Okay. But you've heard the phone call. You have you have uh, shared with me the phone call, and I do believe I have your permission to post it um, yeah. on my so, LinkedIn page so or whatnot. I will just say this: we are so very very glad that we recorded that call because who I was portrayed to be and how that phone call was portrayed to have gone is very very different than the recording. So I'm very thankful that I have that recording. So long story short, after f- almost five months. They send me a letter saying, we found that you didn't violate the ethics, you know, but we really didn't like the fact that you recorded the phone call, even though it was legal. So (laughs) I'm like, okay, you know, investigation over, you know, whatever, flash in the pan. A few months later, fast forward to 2019, I'm in, uh, at the Bayview Yacht Club in Detroit and my phone rings with the, with the, uh, DC area code. And I go, hello. And she goes, hi, Mr. Freed. This is Jessica Cowles from ICMA. And I go, oh, what can I do for you today? And she <laughs> says, uh, well, I'm calling because we have another ethics complaint against you. And I go, okay. I was like, and I'm thinking, I've done nothing wrong. I go, well, what's the ethics complaint? She goes, well, it's not really specific. It's just, and I quote you, it's just that you're genuinely, generally a political person. And I I said, okay, I I don't even know what that means, but the good news is, Jessica, if you don't have a specific complaint under the rules of procedure, every complaint has to be clear and concise, essentially prima facie. If this is true, you violate the code of ethics. How do you defend yourself from that statement? So the phone call went well, and she testified. I was polite and nice on the phone call. So I get this email sent to me with the complaint filed, right? Somebody had gone through eight, no, nine years of my social media activity, Instagram, Facebook, and they pulled off like five or six photos of me with Republican elected officials. So there's a photo with me from the attorney general in 2010. There's a photo of me and the governor walking the Mackinac Bridge, an annual bridge walk. There's a photo of me and the lieutenant governor at a chamber of commerce event. And I said, well, I wrote back, I'm like, Jessica, I don't understand what, what am I supposed to do here? Well, 
you have to tell tell me how this is not a tenant seven violation. Well, the presumption of innocence. Wait, is wait, like, wait. Are you innocent until proven guilty, or do you have yeah, to prove so, yourself innocent? Yeah. So I had to go through every photo and like say, well, I was at a chamber of commerce event. I was at a bridge walk. Well, then I realized that whoever filed the complaint missed all of the photos I took with the Democrats. So there's a, <laughs> there's me and Senator Peters. Yeah, me and Senator Stabenow, me and the, and the Democratic Governor Whitmer. So I took all these other photos and I sent them to Jessica. And I said, hey, just so you know, here's other photos of me with all the Democrats. Because I'm like, a, I'm nonpartisan. I'll take pictures with anybody. And, and, and these are these are when you're, when these pictures are are these I assume city related functions and events. Yeah, these aren't like you're, you're not attending yeah. a, a political event or a campaign no, oh, rally. No, God, yeah. no, God, no, yeah. no, no, no. Yeah. I have never attended a political event. I've never made a campaign dosh. I've never endorsed anybody. These are me at like the local chamber of commerce annual dinner where the lieutenant okay. governors are at. So I said, hey Jessica, here's all these photos of the of the Democrats too because they missed those. And she wrote back, well, you need to tell us where all these came from as well. So they couldn't find anything to that was unethical. So they, they reached out to the Michigan municipal executives and requested a fact finding committee of my peers. So a fact finding committee of three different managers in the state of Michigan were formed to investigate these photos. This investigation lasted, I met with the fact finding committee and they literally laughed at me and said, we don't know why we're here. Like, We've all gone. We've all gone to the chamber event. You're not in a political event. And this is par for the course. This is this is standard operating procedure for a big city yeah. manager, big town city manager. So like they literally write to right back to the ICMA. Like we found no wrongdoing. He attended no political events. He endorsed nobody. And also we pretty much all do this in our day jobs as well. So there was one photo where I was at what's called a pints and politics event with our local chamber. And what that is, it's like a business after five event for the Chamber of Commerce. And they'll invite a couple city managers, the county administrator, maybe a couple commissioners. They put us up on like a little stage and we talk about economic development projects, regional collaboration. It is not a partisan event. It is just, pints and politics is a catchy word. Yeah. So like I wrote in like this photo of me at pints and politics, we were discussing a regional economic development project and collaboration with the different stakeholders. It was nothing partisan. I get this phone call from the CEO of the local chamber. I go, what's up? And she goes, I hope I didn't get you in trouble. And I said, what are you talking about? Now, remember, the ICMA uh, ethics process has to be confidential, right? Uh, that's, what, that's what you alluded yeah. to earlier. Yeah. So she goes, I just got a phone call from the International City Managers County, Administration, uh, County Managers uh, Association uh, that they're looking into you for attending this partisan political event. She goes, but I told them it wasn't a partisan event. And they asked her, where did the $10, what, there was like a $10 cover fee. And they asked her like, well, where did the $10, which political action committee did the $10 go to? Not did it go to a political action committee, but which political action committee did the $10 go to? So the chamber CEO was like, well, you got this all wrong. This is like a chamber after five event. We do, there's no, there's no partisan politics. Yeah, no it's business political. networking. That's what that yeah, is. Yeah, there's yeah. no, there's no political action committee. There's no candidate endorsements. Like you're all wrong. So anyways, I said, well, thank you so much. Sorry about that. No big deal. Here's the thing. The chamber president and I are pretty good friends. Could you imagine if somebody wanted to release that through town that I was being investigated? Yeah. And if they didn't like you for whatever reason or, yeah, I mean, and why they, and you can, why they, they can investigate you without basically incriminating you and alleging that you did some wrongdoing. They should ask yeah. them back, just ask them purely factual yeah. questions. So, yeah. not, so nine months later, I am cleared 
of that investigation. They sent me wait, a letter. Wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. You're telling me that this complaint with, that you engaged in generally political activity and some pictures of you at some city events and whatnot, yes. that was a nine month long investigation? Nine months. That's so imagine for the good part of a year having an ethics investigation that's not defined or clear, concise, hanging over your head. So we get rid of that one. Like, okay, there's, you know, twice number they tried. Yep. Yeah, number two, twice. And I'm like, all right, we're we're done. And then, so I'm going out with my life in early March, 2020. And then we get hit by a pandemic. I took the pandemic really seriously. In fact, we were one of the first cities in the state of Michigan to send our workers home to work from home and close city hall. I remember sitting with my department heads and we're, you know, we're watching the news, what's going on. And I sat there with my executive leadership team. And I said, all right, folks, what do we do? Like, what do we do to keep our people safe? Cause at that point, I mean, I was terrified of COVID at that point. Was, we were all were, we, we like, it was a 30% death rate. I don't want to kill my colleagues, my colleagues, my friends. I don't want to hurt my family. So what do we do? And I said, if you remember at the time, it was 14 days to stop the spread. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So I said, I'm going to shut down city hall and all city operations for 14 days. That was like unheard of at the time. Everyone did it, but that was like, we were, we were ahead by a, by a week, a week and a half of everyone else. And I said, in two weeks, either I'm going to look like a complete idiot or the sky is going to fall. It's one of the two, right? Like we're right. full out either in two weeks. They're like, wow, James overreacted, wasted, sure. you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in city money and shut down city hall needlessly for a pandemic that never happened. But if you're given the, if you know, if you have to roll the dice and the health and safety of your employees and your family are on the line, you don't take chances. So I was willing to uh, shut down city hall and take the, the politics that came of it. So we were shut down for, I, I think until late June, late June, we opened back up. So at that time, there was about 171 executive orders from the governor, you know, wear face mask, have your desks six feet apart. And also at that time, the unemployment perk was like, I believe $600 a week on top of the 300 in Michigan. So in Michigan, you typically get around $390 of unemployment benefits. Well, remember in COVID, you get an additional $600 a week. Yes. So some of my lower level staff actually got a pay raise by not working, by staying at home and being on yes. unemployment, it was a very very difficult time for city managers. I, I think. Yeah. I think it's only been three years, but I think people forget how challenging it was. I mean, yeah. So I had workers who were like, they were loving it. They were at home. They're making more money. So when I decided to reopen City Hall, I had some employees who didn't want to come back. They wanted to think we should maintain be closed so that we could uh, we could get uh, you know extra money. So I paid hundreds of thousands of dollars in PPE, hand sanitizer, the cleaning of the building. I have cleaning crews, cleaning crews going throughout the building. The UV Se spray, all that stuff, right? The yeah, and I spent, I think, like $77,000 on microbial fogging. So if you, come, <laughs> if you come to my office, the varnish on my desk has literally been destroyed from the microbial fogging during COVID. It actually looks funny. That's how much we did for COVID. So I get this one day I'm having lunch and this, we have the, you have OSHA, which is the occupational health and safety organization for the state, for the feds, every state, some states have their own. We have my OSHA here. I get a phone call from my secretary and she says, Hey, my OSHA's here. 
doing a, a, a visit to City Hall. I said, that's fine. Give them free access, whatever you want to do. So I come back to the office and meet with my OSHA inspector after lunch. And he said, we had a complaint that employees aren't required to wear masks. And I was like, oh, well, that's not true. There's, you know, there's masks required. And he goes, we also have a complaint that you weren't wearing a mask. And I said, well, I tell me when and where. The entire building's under video surveillance. I can give you the video. And then he said, well, we also said that you're not providing masks. And I said, okay, well, what door did you come in? And I go, actually, it really doesn't matter because at every single door, as you enter City Hall, there's a box of masks, hand sanitizer, and placards detailing our COVID protocols. So he does this whole inspection. We feel pretty good. And I asked him, I said, did you see any evidence of a violation? He goes, nope, everything looks good to me. So he leaves. And did they ever, out of curiosity, did he ever request any of that videotape footage or anything no, like that? No, 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 no. Nope. It was okay. pretty much like, I, and he told me, I saw no wrongdoing here. I saw no evidence. So I'm out of here. So he leaves. Okay. He calls me, I think a week or two weeks later and says, hey, just so you know, I'm writing you a citation, the most egregious citation with a $3,000 fine of general duty citation. I said, for what? He's like, well, I just got a general feeling that you guys are slacking off. And I said, well, well, you have no evidence. You have a general feeling. I mean, that's like, no, you told me you saw nothing. There was no wrongdoing. I'm not going to pay this. And he goes, well, if you settle early, you'll get a discount. I said, no, no, we will never pay this. I will fight this to the extreme. So two days later or three days later, from the Michigan State Police Office of Emergency Operations, a statewide press release is issued about Myosha citing the city of Port Huron for COVID violations. For How'd not having masks. It was humiliating. My employees who were wearing masks, donning PPE, washing their hands, sanitizing their hands, pushing their desks six feet apart, doing everything right to have a statewide press release, shaming us and embarrassing us. I was humiliated. And that's when I determined we're going to fight this and follow the due process. So we filed the due process and there's a whole house oversight hearing. You can hear the details. I'm going to spare the details here, but we filed the due process and we probably spent, I'd say 15 to $20,000 in legal bills fighting a $3,000 fine, which I probably could have got settled. And this is when you appeared before the legislative body and gave testimony yeah. about your experience, right? And and, and, yep. and I'm going to editorialize here. We want to stick to primarily facts, but yep. I'm going to editorialize and say that you cleaned their clock that day. Well, I mean, it's just the facts. I hear you. For you, for them, to, for them to say that you yeah. had these violations and then you exposed them for the truth, and then I don't, know, I might be getting a little bit ahead of you. Can you go into a little bit more about what you exposed during that hearing? Yeah. So, so when we went through the discovery process. We issued lawful subpoenas to Myosha, to the investigators, um, and we found out that they had destroyed documents. In fact, they had literally burned documents at a farm in Michigan, documents that rob not only the city of Port Huron, but other defendants of due process. How do you have due process when the primary source documents have been physically destroyed. burned? <laughs> it's so, ridiculous. So this leads to the Detroit News runs with it when they find out in discovery that they're burning documents, this leads to literally national and international coverage that the governor's administration was burning documents in an ongoing case. And if you're the governor- Egregious. It's an egregious, I mean, it it just, I can't wrap my head around it. And it led to a whole house oversight hearing and a series of hearings on the issue. The charges were dismissed. The attorney general, once the attorney general got 
the report and realized there was no evidence, nothing supporting it, the attorney general's office dismissed the, the citation immediately. And there was a couple grounds. One, there was no evidence. But two, the Supreme Court had ruled the executive order is unconstitutional anyway. So whether, I mean, it's just a whole host of issues. But anyways, it was pretty embarrassing for the governor. I mean, there was national news for the governor. So there was an editorial that the Detroit News release, the uh, news put out that it was, I think it's titled Governor Whitmer's Pledge to Transparency Literally Goes Up in Flames. And it talks about the case, talks about the burning of documents. It's a pretty good synopsis. So I take a link to that editorial and I send it out on the listserv. Which again, is the private email uh, yeah. chain for city yep. managers. Yep. And I say, hey, an excellent editorial you know, someone should take, you should take a good read. So people start writing back like, wow, this is unbelievable. This is crazy. One manager writes back and says, Hey James, maybe you should, I would, I would encourage you to go read tenant seven of the ICMA code of ethics. The implication that you're violating the code of ethics and yeah. being, engaging in politically partisan activity, right? Yeah. For sharing an editorial about something that actually happened to you, to you and your city. Yeah. So I wrote <laughs> back to him essentially said, hey, to the, and you can read it in the documents, but false flagging and accusing a manager of an ethics violation in front of his peers is shameful and could be a tenant seven violation yourself. Like right. you should be well, ashamed. Well, I mean, he was, he was, he was impugning your character. I yeah, mean, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then I tweeted the, one of the news articles, I think it was a Detroit, it was a national news. I don't know if it was the Washington Examiner or something like that. I tweeted the news article out and I tweeted at Governor Whitmer, this is what you get when you mess with a father who cares about the world his kids go up in. You, you took a little victory lap. You took a little victory uh, lap. What I was getting at was most people wouldn't have fought it, right? But like, no. I, but my whole thing is we can't have state bureaucracies running amok, hurting small businesses, coming after municipalities and hardworking people and not be held accountable. And I don't want my kids my two little girls to grow up in a world where that's acceptable. James, I know this is a city manager focused conversation, but this is an important point that I think we need to sort of take a quick little tangent diversion here. Yep. Because in that hearing that I watched the video in, uh, when you spoke to the legislative body, you talked about essentially how the state of Michigan was using these Myosha investigations to essentially, I don't want to put words in your mouth. I don't think I am, but shake down small businesses, similar to how they were basically suggesting to you that if you settled, you would get a discount, right? And we know that these small businesses don't have the means or resources to fight a state bureaucracy the way that you did. Could you mind unpacking that a little bit? Yeah, I actually presented to the entire Michigan Small Business Association on this because so many small businesses were saying, I got cited and like, if given the choice of a $3,000 fine or admitting guilt and paying $700, you're going to do it. I mean, it's just because you don't have the legal, you don't, most people don't have an army of a toy uh, of lawyers to fight it, right? I have, a, I have a brilliant team of attorneys that took this and knew it was all BS and, and fought it. Uh, I, I, want, I want I want to make that point, James, because to me, instead of attacking you, going after your reputation, trying to ruin you professionally, like the ICMA has done with this public censure, they're attempting to do the public censure and stripping of your credential. You should, have, in my opinion, have been lauded and praise for going to bat and standing up for small businesses who are the ones that actually fuel our economy, that keep our cities running strong. And why wasn't that praised? Why wasn't that respected? Why was that glamorized? But instead, you're being denigrated and attacked. And I just find that 
Well, we had, Shocking. I mean, I, I had managers. I mean, let me tell you something. The support from city managers across the state, my email box is jammed full of people who knew this was wrong. Uh, the businesses, people reached out to us. Um, it was incredible. So, so there's my email and there's my tweet. Okay. Right. So there's key points in the story. I have an email and a tweet. So going on with COVID, uh, we get the, the, we get the, the vaccine comes out, right? The city of Port Huron was the first municipality to partner with a, a grocery store pharmacy. I partnered with Kroger and we actually did on-site vaccine clinics in the city. Now, if you remember, it was really difficult to get a vaccine. So first we're like medical people, you know, medical nurses, EMS it, workers. It was being that, rationed out to the most important, yeah, I mean, it's being rationed. language, but the most you know, high priority people. Public Correct. Responders, yeah. And so I was like, when I find out Kroger's willing to give me 130 doses and I have 400 employees, I have about two, 420 employees, about 230 are full time. So when I find out I can get 130 doses, I took the chance. And so we held an on-site vaccine clinic. I announced the on-site vaccine clinic to my staff like, hey, you guys should take advantage of this. And I actually write, I trust the vaccine, I support the vaccine, and my wife and I are getting it. So we hold our vaccine clinic and uh, I go get the vaccine. So does my wife. We do a little photo op of us getting the shot and we push that out on social media. Like the vaccines are safe, effective. We encourage everyone to get them. So the reason why I tell you that is I'm not an anti-vaccine person. Like right, right. I was literally pushing old ladies out of the way to jump the line to get my wife and my kid, my wife and I, the vaccine type thing. You know what I mean? I, I wanted it. Right. Um, and I'm vaccinated and I've had one booster shot. Which makes the story even more surreal in that regard, because as we're going to get to, yeah, you had the vaccine, and this this whole censure is around this email that you yep. send to your employees. Yep. So we go a little bit further in the pandemic; vaccines are readily available, and then the narrative starts to go out. And you, you know, if you remember, it was like get vaccinated, get vaccinated, and then it was this is the pandemic of the unvaccinated, right? So, you know, if you get the vaccine, it was believed that you can't get COVID. And you can't spread COVID, which we now know yes. is not true. Yes. But at the time, that's what people believed. And there was a lot of resentment building towards people who wouldn't get the vaccine. That's correct. We're talking about people being, I mean, yeah, let's not, let's not gloss over this. We're talking about people who were arguing that if you didn't get the vaccine, you should be fired from your job. You should be not well, that was happening. School. Yes. And that was happening in parts of the country. And so yes. my philosophy is like, when you tell someone you have to do something, you get less cooperation, right? So I continue to tell my staff, we believe it's safe and effective. I've got it for my family. When I went and got my booster, we did the photo op for that, pushed it out on social media. So then the president of the United States comes out and says that he'll be directing OSHA to essentially begin a vaccine mandate or testing, right? So if you look at the presidential press conference, he goes, we will require vaccines for all employers with 100 employees or more, which is key. 100 employees or more will either have to have a vaccine mandate or a testing policy. And that OSHA ETS is going to you know, do this. So there are about 537 cities and villages in the, city of, or in the state of Michigan. There's north of 1,200 townships the vast majority of them have less than 99 employees. Right. So Port Huron is one of, I would say, 40, 50, maybe 60 cities that have more than 100 employees. Okay. That's a lot of employees yeah. uh, for a municipality. So OSHA does not apply to the city of Port Huron. So OSHA issues 
their ETS, Temporary Emergency Standard, right? And it says that if you have 99 employees, you have to either A, adopt a vaccine mandate, or the employer must adopt a vaccine and test policy, or vaccine or test policy. I mean, okay. if you're not going to get vaccinated, then every week you need to take a test. Right. To prove you don't have and prove COVID. you're healthy. Yep. Yeah. So if it was going to apply to municipalities, my OSHA would have to adopt similar standards, which we are what's called a MyOSHA plus state, which means you have to do the minimum of what MyOSHA does, maybe more. So okay. reasonably, you can assume that within 30 to 60 days of OSHA implementing the ETS, that MyOSHA would probably adopt a similar ETS. Logic, logic which, would dictate that, yeah. Which is a vaccine mandate or a testing policy. So I have probably 30, 40% of my fire department and police department who are not going to get vaccinated. They're, they don't they don't believe in the vaccine. They think it's, it's and it's still, it's experimental. I mean, let's be honest, it's still in testing phases. So coincidentally- and, and, this, and this isn't conjecture. This isn't rumor. This is literally being communicated to you by the individuals themselves as well yeah, as- Yeah, I have people- I have their, people bar, their, their, their bargaining units as well. Yeah, the labor groups are telling, like, and I know I'm talking to the department heads, like, what's the take rate in the vaccines? Where are we at in the vaccines? Because right. I wanted to get us up there in that 60, 70% herd immunity level of vaccinating my staff. So- I start getting asked in the hallways, like, hey, you're going to force the jab? You're going to force me to be vaccinated? Well, the, the problem is this. Police and fire are a talent shortage right now in Michigan and across the country. I can't even hire qualified police officers. Can't find them. Same with firefighters. So I had employees who were already telling people that if I enforced a vaccine mandate, they were going to leave. Yep. So I knew I would have police officers and firefighters resign and I also knew that I couldn't backfill those positions. With who, right? There's no talent pool out there. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. they're asking me, what are you going to do? And so, again, I have the choice. Now, the, the interesting thing, and this is a key part, in the city of Port Huron, the personnel policies and all the policies regulating the staff are at the sole discretion of the city manager per the city charter and ordinances. Now so you don't even need to have you don't even need to have council approval on this. At they don't all? vote on they don't vote on any of the regulatories for the state okay. of staff, which is different. In my previous community in Lakeview, I would recommend personnel policy, and then the council would have to formally adopt it. Under the charter here in Port Huron, that is not the case. In fact, okay. they have no say in it. So it is my decision. As so the, you don't you don't have the luxury of hiding behind the uh, governing yes. body in this situation. You are the man running point. Yes. Or in this individual, you are the chief executive officer. They're coming to you. They're de- your your employees are demanding answers from you of what the situation is going to be. Because, yeah. What are you going to do? Because they're going to bounce if you're going to put this mandate in place, and they want to know. Yep. And so I talked to my HR department. I talked to my police chief, my fire chief, my department heads on what I what, you know what are we doing here? What do we have to do? Got to keep people safe. I also knew that if I forced a vaccine mandate, it would probably compel people not to take it, a certain yes. segment of the population. Yep, for right? sure. So I want to read the email here that I sent my city staff. And this email is important because it's the reason why I was defamed. And so I'll read it to you. I sent it to my staff on November 6th. It says, city staff, I know there has been significant news and information floating around regarding the OSHA and the forthcoming vaccine mandate for employers with 100 100 or more employees. Municipalities do not fall under the jurisdiction of OSHA. However, we do fall under the jurisdiction of my OSHA, and they will need to promulgate additional rules if they seek to include us in any future mandate. 
Here's, here's the line for you. Hear me now. I will never enforce a vaccine mandate upon my employees. I took a oath of office to protect and uphold the Constitution when I took this position. I will uphold my oath come what may. I earnestly believe that one of the federal judges across this country will issue an injunction soon. I also believe the U.S. Supreme Court will soundly reject this overreach of the administrative state. Laws are made by duly elected members of the U.S. Congress, Senate, and signed by the president, not unelected bureaucrats. I hope I've made my position clear to you. Can you reread that line, James, the, the, the key line there? Yep. Hear me now. I will never enforce a vaccine mandate upon my employees. And so what is the problem with that line? What did the ICMA say you did wrong there? So let's go. Well, before we get to that, I want to talk about what I meant by come what may. Okay. All right. Okay. So when I said come what may, there was two things that I knew I was going to get published. Push, uh, two things. One is pressure and cost. I knew that there was going to be some political pressure on me not forcing a vaccine mandate. Because remember at the time, the country was being told this is a pandemic of the unvaccinated. Right. So these people are being selfish. They're not getting a vaccine. They're continuing this. We're locked down in our homes because they won't get the vaccine. So I knew there'd be significant political pressure there. At the same time, I also knew there'd be immense cost. So when you implement testing, a weekly testing protocol, when you and I go home and we stick something up our nose to do an at-home test, we just toss it in the trash can. When you do that in a workplace, that's clinical. And now you have bloodborne pathogens involved. So there's going to be immense cost in implementing the testing protocol necessary to facilitate the weekly testing. And there was. So after I sent that email, I began working with my emergency management team and third-party vendors, and I literally bought thousands and thousands of COVID tests ready to begin doing weekly testing. In addition to that, I had lined up contracts for a third-party agency to actually stand up a testing clinic within City Hall to facilitate the weekly testing. So I, and at that same time, I began drafting the testing policy, which actually OSHA put out a sample template of its testing policy. We pretty much took the OSHA template and you know changed it to the city of Port Huron, and we're going to adopt the OSHA template. All of that was being done. Can you give me a sense of the dollar cost of what that all came out to be or any, any context uh, like that? So the, the test kits themselves between twenty five and 30000 if we actually executed the the testing protocol with the clinical, it'd probably be one hundred twenty thousand dollars. So we're talking about uh, a leader of a city, a large city, who spent tens of thousands of dollars, spent lots of lots of hours to cultivate or develop this program, put it in place, so that your employees could be safe. You've been vaccinated. You are encouraging others to get vaccinated. You're now anti-vaccine, anything like that, and somehow we get to you being publicly censured over this email and the other stuff we've talked about. Yep. So I'm at home one night and this is in, gosh, I can't remember the month, but I'm at home one night and I remember very clearly I'm in my driveway, just got home. I got the door open. I'm trying to unbuckle my kid. It's like six o'clock at night. I'm trying to unbuckle my kid from the car seat and I get a phone call from a, uh, a DC number. Who could it be? Who could it be, James? <laughs> yeah. So I call him. I go, hello. Hi, James. This is Jessica Cowless. And I go, okay. I was like, what can I do for you tonight? And she's like, well, I wanted to call to advise you. We have an ethics complaint against you. Shocker. And I'm like, for, for, like, for what? For what now? And she's like, well, 
you know, a tweet, an, an email you sent your staff. You go, an email I sent my staff about what? She goes, well, the vaccine mandate. And I literally said, and I have to, I have to, I have to, like, this is what I said, because I'm going to be honest with you. I've been under investigation for five months, no wrongdoing. Under investigation for nine months, no wrongdoing. Now I'm getting called for the third time. And I said, Jessica, I don't have time for this fucking ICMA bullshit. That's what I said. I mean, I, I don't worry. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm going to tell you what I said because it's like it's in the court documents. You're going to know I said I dropped the f bomb. So I calm down and I'm like, "What is wrong with like? Can you tell me what I did wrong?" She was not able to tell me what I did wrong. She was not able to tell me what the clear accusation was. So she sends me. It's like, why are you a, call me then? You yeah. know what I mean? Get it so, together. Never mentions the Myosha case, nothing. So she sends me a letter with a line of questioning. And I want to read you the line of questioning because it's like, this is the ICMA ethics, right? And this is yes. what they're asking me. So she writes me in the questions about the Myosha investigation. Now, hold on, right? James. Before you read this whole thing about this yeah. letter, when you get this letter, maybe it's maybe I'm getting ahead of you. Does she actually articulate what the allegation is against you? Or does she yeah, just she send you sends, a- She sends me a copy of my email to staff and says it's a possible tenant three violation. My tweet where I tweet a legitimate news article and it says right. at Governor Whitmer, um, you shouldn't mess with a father who cares about the world his kids grow up in. Because okay. I had just blew this yep. thing up nationally. We were wrongfully accused. They burned the documents. They destroyed the evidence. And all of that came out in a, a house oversight hearing. So I get and, and there and there was a third component, which uh, remind the audience the third the, thing, the email the email to the listserv, right? Yeah, yep. okay. About the so, about the to the fellow city manager who accused you or in, implied that you may have violated tenant seven. Yep. So I did not know the Myosa investigation was any part of it. So apparently it wasn't. The Myosa investigation had nothing to do with the complainant. She just saw what the news article was about and wanted to know more about it. So listen to this line of question. So it's under the header Myosha investigation. She goes, "Is it accurate?" that Myosha cited the city for violations of COVID workplace regulations? If so, what violations did Myosha allege occurred? What is the associated fine? Is it accurate that the city incurred legal expenses in appealing the violation that exceed the fine levied for the workplace violations? Now remember- What are the, re- what are the relevance of these questions, James? Yeah, well, and remember at the time, like I wasn't appealing because I, I didn't want to pay $3,000. We were appealing- to restore the reputation of my employees who worked so hard and did everything right. We're not gonna have them put on blast statewide that they were, you know, violating COVID rules. And then this gets even better. Uh, What's the city's annual budget for legal expenses? Does the city have in-house legal counsel or does the city contract out its uh, legal services? What was the total expense the city incurred in this matter? Did you approach this with the governing bottle for approval? Of course we did. it's just the line of questions, like what relevance does that have to do with the yeah, ICMA ethics? So, how did you interpret those questions? They didn't what like did my you, decision. They didn't. They just didn't like my policy decision. So you they thought, like, was, you, thought, you thought it was political, essentially? Well, I, I think it's they didn't like the fact that I challenged a violation in one. I also don't think the like the fact that we pretty much embarrassed the governor on national news and the administration. I mean, it was humiliating for them. They got caught burning documents. Now, can we um, uh, go, before we get into this uh, more? I want to stop stop you on something. You know, much has been made about this uh, tweet that you put out, and uh, you tar- you tagged uh, Governor Whitmer. There is nothing under ICMA, ICMA rules 
that prohibits a city manager from being critical of an elected official, correct? No, and in fact, in every single, just about every single tenant seven public censure, when they issue it, they always add the line, tenant seven does not prevent city managers from expressing criticisms of elected officials. Okay. We are allowed to criticize elected officials per ICMA, per ICMA. So then we get down to the COVID vaccine mandates. And it says, why did you send your email to staff? Um, why did you share it with your colleagues at, at Listserv? And I wrote, yeah, I shared on Listserv. So they knew this is what we're doing in the city port here. And I'm doing the testing, the testing policy. Has a governing body adopted a statement, which they don't. It goes to me. Uh, here's one for you to tell you what they really thought about it was, please answer the following questions regarding, regarding whether you think your commentary on the vaccine could, A, conflict with your risk management responsibilities, B, undermine the city's current or future response to workplace safety. C, expose the city to future liability. And then D, send a message to your employees that you have no intention of implementing a law as required to do so as a chief administrative officer. Well, I have never said I was going to violate the law. I just well, hold on, thousands- well, hold on, James. You said that you would never you would never enforce a vaccine mandate. So aren't you saying that if the governor or the state puts in a vaccine mandate that you're going to violate the law? No, because my employees, I'm responding to a question. You have option A, impose a vaccine mandate, or B, implement a testing policy. And I said, I'm not doing option A. And then I took, by words and action, I took steps to implement option B. So so your position is, is that you had a choice, vaccine mandate or give employees the, the choice of being tested. My and email, you said, hey, I'm never going to require you to get the vaccine mandate because we have this testing option, right? Correct. So you, we, so this whole thing was basically a manufactured attack on you in the sense that they're alleging that you're going to preemptive, preemptively violate the law when you never said you were going to preemptively violate – you never said you're going to violate the law. That's, that's not – well, looking back on it, I think it was just they didn't know the facts. And so I – so anyways, I respond back to Jessica and I said, hey – I write a letter like, first of all, I'm not even going to answer your Myosha questions because that's none of the ICMA's business. My legal budget, who my lawyer is, how many lawyers I have, that is absolutely irrelevant to anything. So I'm not even going to answer that. That's a ridiculous line of question. I said, two, I have the authority under city charter to make this decision. It is my decision to make. Also, I never said I was going to violate the law. I was speaking specifically to the OSHA ETS. Specifically to the OSHA ETS, which gave me the option, vaccine mandate or testing. Right. Not only that, I told them I have begun providing, uh, you know, begun purchasing testing kits and begun the whole process to do it. So that's what I get. So they sent it to the CPC. I'm on vacation in Florida with my wife, who at that point, I got to believe she's nine months pregnant, eight months, no, eight months pregnant. She's about to pop. Right. Okay. And my little girl, and I get an email in the middle of the night that says from, from Jessica saying that the, the committee on professional contact has voted to publicly censure me for tenant three violation. Now, remember a public censure is like the most egregious. Like when you go to your PM magazine that, so you go and read it and it's like bribery, you know, assault, criminal convictions, you knocked up one of your staffers. I mean, it is the most jaw-dropping, egregious behavior that I can't find a city manager that was publicly censured that wasn't either convicted, resigned, or fired. 
It is like the worst of the worst. Cut and dry. Cut and dry. Cut and dry. And the reason for that was, quote, the inappropriate tweet I sent to the governor. And then the board concluded that my preemptive declaration to city employees that I would never implement a specific law or policy when it's the manager's duty to do so is contrary to the principles of tenant three. That's I not had bad. That's not true. There's no law in the books requiring me. I complied with the law. And so what law did I break? Well, let, so, me, let, me, let me ask you this, James. Let's just, say, let's just say hypothetically speaking, right, that the governor put down a law or that the legislature, the governor enacted through executive order, whatever the case may be. And they said, hey, you only have one option. You got to put a vaccine mandate in place for your employees. Now, even if that is true and that was to put that law was to go into effect. You're not saying you're going to violate that law. You have the ability of resigning your position, or I mean, yeah. I, you, you're not. You're not going to necessarily. You're not saying yeah, you're going to violate the law. If if the state passed a law, if the House and Senate and the governor passed a law, and it was held up in the courts, I would implement it. Okay, but my point is, even if you were saying that, as far as in that email, and you said, "Hey, I'm not good." Yeah, I, correct. I, oh, I could assume I mean, no matter what. Yeah, you. So yeah. you can't you can't convict somebody of violating a law preemptively in this this situation. It doesn't oh. make any sense. So then, so then I decided to get my legal team involved because I have the right to appeal to the full board at ICMA. Now, before we get into that, James, when it comes to the CPC, do you at this time, because the CPC seems almost like the secret society. I have no idea who's on it. Well, I will get back to that in a second. But you as the, um, uh, for those who've never gone through this process, do you as the individual who's being alleged to have violated the ethics, do you know who's on the committee no. By name? Anything like that? No. Is it just a secret group? It's a secret group? You have no, no idea who it is? I have no idea. And you have no idea? Do you, do you get to see the report or the allegations made against you before they even vote on it? Nope. So you, basically, you are asked a, a laundry list of questions that are not even relevant to your particular case, and you're asked to give a response back, and then you just get a, notified that the CPC has ruled that you should be publicly censured. Yep. So we appeal the decision to the CPC, right? And at this point, so I have a right to appeal and provide. So I provide our lawyers drafted an 11 page letter, I think, which I think you posted before yes. with all the exhibits, our, our testing policy, the receipts from the testing kit purchases, everything we were doing to comply with the law and said, Hey, Michigan has no vaccine mandate. There was never a vaccine mandate. I had no duty to implement a vaccine mandate. Therefore, I didn't preemptively declare I was going to violate anything or not implement right. any law. Uh, I was essentially telling my staff I was given A or B choice. I'm going with B. Or I'm never going to do right. A. Right, right, right. Um, but, hey, but hey, James, I'm sorry to interrupt you there, but I want this is something that's very important that I want to touch on because earlier in this podcast, you talked about how you've been a member for 14 plus years since college. You've been a big supporter of the ICMA. You're a company man, uh, to use your 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 term, right? You yeah. you've been a big booster of the organization. You find value in it. How does it feel to you that now you've gone through this third what you would call bogus sham investigations, and then it actually goes to the CPC, and you get word that they want to censor you and strip you of your credential? Like, walk me through like what's going through your mind at that point in time. Oh, I was I was actually pretty emotional when I got the letter. Actually. I, broke down crying in Florida. And I told my wife, I said, they're going to destroy my career. They're going to absolutely destroy my career and destroy our ability to take care of our family. I mean, we were, yeah. I was, I was petrified when I read it. Um, absolutely mortified because I had not broken any law. I had not violated tenant three. 
I did everything lawfully. I mean, it was, but I'm a, I'm a believer in process, right? Even the first two, two investigations, I went through the process and no wrongdoing was found. The and process it was frustrating. Worked. And it was frustrating. And you weren't holding the, you weren't holding a grudge against the ICMA because you went through the process. It, it worked out. It sucked. It was a pain in the butt, but yeah, the, pro- the process, it, it could have been shorter or more compressed in time frame. but you didn't have an issue with ICMA then per se. You just went through the process and like, Hey, it worked out. Right. But now you're well, going the, through this process and you're being accused of something that you didn't do. Well, I wasn't okay with the first because the process is the punishment. Like the first investigation was clearly sh- should never have been initiated. The second investigation, there was no prima facie allegation. So that should never have, under the rules procedures, it should never have been started. Uh, so I was, completely, I, yeah, I was, I was, at that point, I was pretty annoyed, actually. So James, you have the situation where ICMA is going after you, your career, it's jeopardizing your career. Can you please walk us through, because you got to remember, there's a lot of folks who are going to be listening to this podcast who are not on the uh, yeah. inside, who understand how the ICMA so, works. What are the uh, consequences of a public censure and losing your credential? An ICMA public censure is to anyone who knows anything, a search consultant or a city, it is like, this is the worst of the worst. This is the worst ethical behavior, the worst conduct. The la- And you don't get a job. You'll never get a job if you're being publicly censured. Uh, the last city manager in Michigan to be publicly censured went to jail on federal bribery charges. Are you serious? Yeah. That's the last city manager in Michigan to be publicly censured. Federal bribery charges and racketeering, I believe. So it's like... This is, and so I, you know, I'm sitting there with my wife and she's, you know, seven or eight months pregnant and I know my career is going to be destroyed for an email telling my staff I was going to impose a vaccine mandate. I mean, it it was, it's absolutely haunting. The, this, the revoking, the recommendation to revoke my credentials, I can only see was an attempt to get me fired from my current employment. That's the only reason why you would do that would, so you would not only ensure that I couldn't get another job but to ensure that I would be terminated in my current role. So you you believe beyond question that the ICMA was a, trying to attack your livelihood and prevent you to put food on, on the table for your family. Is that what you're saying? I have the evidence in my hands and we're going to get into that. So we appeal and I believe in process. And they said, Hey, you know, we're going to have this uh, hearing the board uh, to go over this. And I said, it's going to be in just outside Jacksonville, Florida. It was actually a really posh resort that I had. A, and I said, okay, can I join by zoom? And they're like, yeah, you can join by zoom. And as it got closer, I told my wife, I'm like, I, I think I should fly down there so that they can see that I'm not just blowing this off. Like this is a, this is the, my future. This is my family. Like I should, I should put on a suit and go down there and say, Hey, I, I take this seriously. And I want to, clear the air and find out what's, you know, tell you what really happened. And so, uh, I hopped on a plane, left my, 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 my kid had just been born. So now I have a, a, a baby that's I think two weeks old and I, I hop on a red eye down to Jacksonville, Florida. Um, I don't even think I packed luggage. I think I brought my iPad with me and that was it. Um, because I wasn't going to stay that long. And so I, I went down to the venue and when I walked in, I, a gentleman met me in the lobby and said, have a seat here, Mr. Freed. I said, okay. Um, and so then they, they bring me into the room. And I mean, I felt like I was a convicted felon walking into a courtroom and being seated. So I sat down in front of the board and I was completely silent. Like, didn't say a word. I wanted to look professional um, and, you know, wait for my turn. And so they began introducing the case. And the head of the CPC immediately begins by saying, 
Mr. Freed, who, quote, has previous ethical issues from 2018 and 19. And so I just sat there and looked at her. I'm like, I've never had an ethical issue. I was found no wrongdoing. That's her opening line. So she lays out the case. And then my lawyer speaks for, and that's what I knew right there. I knew that I knew that I knew it was it. I knew it was in. I knew that the, 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 the fix was in, right? The fix I was mean, in. The moment the, she said that. In this country, when you're arrested, you're innocent until proven guilty, right? And what they're doing yeah. is this classic deal of saying, well, you were arrested, right? With this yeah. ethics violation. So therefore you're guilty. You have these issues. Yeah. You, you were investigated and cleared. You did not have a history of any ethics issues. That's no. absolutely ludicrous. So I sat there and my lawyer gave like a, a 15 minute, 20 minute presentation. Hey, he, there was no vaccine mandate. OSHA ETS gave us the option. You know, here's what really happened. And at the very end, they said, Mr. Freeze, anything you'd like to say? And I said, yeah. I said, if you do this and publicly censure me, the press is going to call. And the first question they're going to ask is what law or policy did you not implement? And I said, so before I leave here and get on a plane and go back to my wife and kids, can you please tell me what specific law or policy that my email would have said I wasn't going to implement. And the president at the time looked at me and said, well, I believe that's in the report. And I said, no, sir, it is not. So they vote to publicly censure me and they issue, before sending out the press release, they send a letter to my mayor to let them know that they're going to censure me. Well, of course, my mayor is like, what, what is this? So I meet with the legal team, with every single council member. I show them the tweet, I show them the email, and I show them the, the, the listserv email. I said, this is what they're going to censure me for. And they're all flabbergasted. They're like, what? They're like, first of all, you had the choice to do a testing option. You took steps to implement the testing option. So in a very rare, I, I don't think it's ever been done. So the mayor and council drafted a letter back to the ICMA board saying, we support our city manager. He was not unethical. He was not dishonest. And he, he took by words and by words and action, took steps to implement the law as he's required to do. And we, he has the full faith and support and confidence of this mayor and council. And we ask you to retract your censure. That's amazing. You know, Signed you know, by every single one of my, now remember these are Republicans and Democrats. Right. And you know, James, I, you know, you know, I, I, I beat up on governing bodies a lot with my post on LinkedIn and whatnot, because there's a lot of governing bodies out there that do a lot of unprofessional stuff and attack their city managers in public and undermine them and whatnot. Yep. What, how did it make you feel to have this level of support from your governing body? When I opened that email at my office and I saw every single single, every single council member had signed it, I broke down crime. Cause I'm going through this quietly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Thinking this, and then it's like, with, with, with a brand new baby, with a brand new baby. And it's like, you got the stress of life. And then it's like, okay, um, now I have to tell my bosses what's going on and what are they going to think? But I've been working with them at that point for eight years. They know my character. They know who I am. Um, and so to have that, like, so, I mean, it's like, typically a public censure is so bad that the manager has been fired, resigned, or convicted. Here, I still have my job and the mayor and council are like full support. Now, the awesome. issue is, as you it's know, amazing. well, but city managers have a lifespan of three to five years. I've been here going on my 10th year. 
yeah. eventually this council will flip and then I'll have to look for another job. It's like, a matter of time. Yeah. I mean, the election cycles yeah. happen every two years, you know? So, yeah. I mean, so yeah. it's like, whether it's going to be two years or three years or five years or 20 years, you never know. And so it's like, I appreciate the council I have now, but they're not going to be here forever. Right. Um, and this is great political fodder for the future. So ICMA doesn't do it. They issue their press release. Out of curiosity, you know, the ICMA is very good about wanting to publicly shame the they, individuals that they that they censure, right? They send the letter to the council and yep. they, they put you on blast, right? To use the vernacular. Yep. Now your council responds in your defense and sends this letter to the ICMA. Did the ICMA ever respond back to the governing no, body? never. Just ghosted him. Just didn't even acknowledge Go, him. Ghosted him. So the public censure comes out. It essentially says, it's, it's, I mean, you, you can have the, the press release here. I have the press release. But the board concluded that Mr. Freed's preempted declaration to city employees that he would never implement a specific law or policy when it's a manager's duty to do so. Also, they found that my inappropriate tweet to the governor and my uh, uh, my email to my colleague on listserv did not represent the highest standards, right? Yep. And, oh. and, and James, for the sake of the audience who's listening in the past on LinkedIn, I have posted all these documents uh, several times yep. and I've highlighted the points that were made. I provided the pictures of the email you, uh, you sent on the listserv. I provided pictures of the tweet that you sent out to the governor, but, but the they, letters. It, it's just, this is nothing there. This is all using BS. the words honest, lacks integrity and honesty, essentially accusing me of lacking honesty and integrity not and, and unlawful. He was unlawful. What, were you, what was, were you? What were you dishonest about? What were you not? It's so crazy. So the first, my phone rings, and no joke. The first question is from the Times Herald, which is the regional newspaper here. First question, and the release. I'm going to quote this verbatim. Jackie Smith, the Times Herald reporter, says, "James, I'm on deadline, so I don't have a lot of time, but I just need to know which law did you not implement or refuse to implement?" <laughs> now here's it. now here's the key. There's two press releases. There's one that went to the public. And then there's one, one that went to the ICMA website and to their journal. Well, they're the same, right? No. The one that went to the public never references the vaccine mandate or what the law was. The one on the website that goes to ICMA members rep mentions the vaccine mandate. And now we know under oath they testified that the reason why they're two different drafts is because they, quote, we consider our audiences before sending them out. And if you would have put in the press release to the public about wait, a vaccine mandate. That is, wait a minute. This is crazy. There, I, I've only known about, James, this entire time, I've only known about the press release that was on the website. Yeah, no, there's the one she sent to the local paper never mentions vaccine, doesn't have the word vaccine in it, never mentions anything about vaccine mandates. Because if you would have... The people in Michigan would have said, what are they talking about? There isn't now there was vaccine mandates in New York and in Washington, right. DC. There were no vaccine mandates in Michigan. And Jessica Cowles testified under oath that they considered the audience they were sending it to. Meaning that they were engaging in political sort of political that's, that's political. I'm not saying in a typical well, they, they of partisan. The, they, They're being politically to massage the message. Yeah, he's unlawful, he's unethical, and he's dishonest. But one something that we've never really talked about on my post and in this interview yet is this is a pandemic. This is a COVID pandemic. This is a once in a lifetime deal. And everyone in our profession was struggling with how to operate in this environment, with what to do. And yeah. you're not given you're not given any grace for this how to respond in a once in a lifetime opportunity. There's no benefit of the doubt for a, a 14 year manager, the ICMA. 
So it, so this goes to press. It I got the screenshot phone alert on my phone. They pushed the notifications out to all the users. My phone starts blowing up. It was humiliating. I remember walking in the next day to get my coffee at the gas station and seeing my photo above the fold on the newspaper rack, city manager censured and seeing the words lacks integrity, honesty, unlawful. You made the front page above the fold of your local paper? Above the fold. Now, I had to go to Walmart that day with my wife, and it was all over the Walmart newsstands too. And I, my, I, you know, people are texting my wife, like, what did your husband do? What did he, what law did he violate? What law did he implement? I mean, it's everywhere. So it's humiliating for not only me, but now my wife's embarrassed. I can't, I, I can't even, I can't even imagine. And I didn't <laughs> well, realize that they didn't put that vaccine part because here's the thing with the vaccine being such a controversial thing. I think if they had that in there, people are going to start asking questions about, well, was this really a, a political thing about the vaccine or is this guy really dishonest about something else? Because- so, I mean, it, it was so the, the press release said an inappropriate tweet to the governor. I literally had one of my friends call me and said, did you send a dick pic to the governor? I mean, they literally, like, what does that mean? Inappropriate. <laughs> and it, they never told the public <laughs> what the tweet was. And I was like, I literally tweeted a news link with at Governor Whitmer you shouldn't mess with a father who cares about the world his kids grow up in. That's it. That's such a minor thing. That's not censure worthy. Not censure worthy at all. Yeah, I'm going through. I'm going through Walmart. I'm humiliated. My friends and family are reading this. It's on Facebook. Every person you know who wants to take a shot at you is using this as political fodder. He's unlawful. He lacks integrity. Dishonest. I mean, I can only, I can only imagine the sewer of Facebook and the public, you know, detractors you have are lighting you up on oh. social media too, right? Well, then it's like it's embarrassing for my mayor and council because they're getting phone calls like your city manager's being unlawful. Yeah, I mean, so it's the mayor and council are embarrassed as well. I mean, yeah, it's there's like there's political ramifications for that. Let's not be naive. Yeah, it's absolutely humiliating. So they they went through with it. They published false statements about me. So what I've been publicly accused as being unethical, which is blatantly false acting unlawful, which is false. There is no law I failed to follow or never said I would not follow the law. Lacking integrity, there's no basis for that conclusion. It's false. Lacking honesty, they have not identified one thing that I said was false and had no basis for that conclusion. The public censure is still on their website. I want them to take it down. And uh, what we asked is we sent them a retraction notice. I want them, uh, we sent them after they published this, we said, hey, you know, you've made a mistake. You've published false statements about me. Please look at the facts, retract this statement, and, and do the best you can to render what you've done, or else we'll have to sue, which I never want to do. So they refused to do it. And so at this point, I'm 38 years old. I've got two little babies and a wife that I have to take care of. I've got about 26, 29 years of work life left. Ahead of you. Yep. A lot of early and, years. Yeah. And any hope I had of moving on to a larger city... I'll never pass a background investigation. What search consultant who's going to do a cursory review sees that a city manager was unlawful, unethical, and dishonest is going to make you pass round one? They're not going to run the risk. Why, why take a risk on no. James Freed when they have other applicants they can put forward? It doesn't make sense. No, and should my mayor and council flip here and my unemployment be, is terminated here, I'll never get back in the profession. And so I've, I've given ICMA every opportunity. Please retract your statements. Correct the error that you've made. They refused to do it, so I was left. When you say they refused, by the way, did they ever respond in any way or they just nope. ignore everything you sent? Nope. So they never ignore- even acknowledged you at all after that point. You're dead nope. to them. You're dead. You're dead. Okay. 
Um, credentials revoked, publicly censured for tenant three. So if you go and look at the public censures for tenant three, it's all breach of public trust, breaking the law, conviction, felonies, breaking policy, ordinances. Uh, I'm just a lawbreaker. I mean, I'm, I'm as bad as the guy who was a felon, you know, embezzling. That's ridiculous. I mean, I'm raked up there. So I have, I have never sued anyone in my life, but I was only left with one option and that was to file a defamation lawsuit on ICMA to seek a judicial decision to clear my name. I need a jury of the American people to clear my name. So I filed a lawsuit. That lawsuit opens up a what's called a discovery period, right? So first, ICMA files a motion for change of venue. It essentially says, we're a D.C. organization. Therefore, this should be tried in D.C., but the problem is the defamation, they didn't issue a press release in D.C. They didn't issue a press release in Missouri. They issued the press release in Michigan. That's right, where you, where you were, because they want to damage you there. They wanted to damage my reputation in Michigan. So the judge was pretty harsh on it. The judge pretty much is like, so you're saying that you can defame your members and you want to go run behind D.C. borders for better protection? Because they have better, they have different laws governing nonprofits. It's, there. it's more advantageous for them, right, to be in DC yeah. than it is. And they're yeah. like pretty much, yeah, that's what we want to do. The judge struck that down. They also said, "Well, James Freed is uh, voluntarily joined this organization," and the judge literally said, "I don't think James Freed voluntarily signed up to be defamed." Yeah, you know that's a great point. That uh, I was going to actually, you beat me too. I was going to raise that question with you, James, because when I first started posting about your situation. One of the common arguments that I would get was, well, James joined a volunteer organization. Well, so what? Just because you volunteer for an organization doesn't mean that that gives you them carte blanche to do whatever they want to you. No, you're you don't not get a to, slave. You're not a you don't sl- get to sl- slander yeah. somebody just because they joined your organization. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I I sued not only ICMA, but I sued the board members as well. Because remember, this wasn't ICMA acting. This was ICMA issued the press release at the direction of the board. The board voted to censure me, which triggers – all of the things, all of the press releases, it's all spelled out in the rules, procedures, what they will do if you're censured. So, so James, this is something I've been trying to get out of you for months and you will never give me the answer. And I don't know if you're going to give me the answer now, right? Yeah. Did you, what was the vote? Who voted yes? Who voted no? Because you listed all the executive board members, but I've never been able to figure that out. And what's interesting about this is we're having this conversation on Sunday afternoon and literally a couple hours ago. Uh, William Fraser, he's a he's on the board. He's a Vermont city manager, town manager. He actually posted in a comment to one of my posts that the board was split. And I've never been able to know who voted yes and who voted no or if it was unanimous. So can you elaborate on that or is that protected? You know, I he can divulge every wants, but there's some stuff that are under protective order, like their board minutes that I can't talk about. So you can't tell me what the vote was or who voted yes or no? No. Okay. I, I know, and but – this is what the jury's. This is what the trial's for. We'll yeah, be able okay. to tell the. All we'll right. be able to tell the jury. Okay. Um, so, we essentially said the board knew that when they voted to censure me under the rules procedure, what's going to happen? They knew the press. It literally states a press release will be issued. There's a whole in the rules procedure what will happen if you're publicly censured. So they tried dismissing the board. That didn't happen. So then we began discovery, and I, we sent them a request for documents and. They didn't give them to us. When, when is this? So when, you, when, when did discovery start for you? Can you go give us a little bit of a timeline? For I, the want to say it was, because- I want to say it was last September. Last September or October. Okay. So they refused to give us the documents we requested. They refused to give us the communications. They violate the ICMA and the board members violated the court rules. 
So we had to go before a judge, and the judge had to issue what's called a motion to compel, ordering the ICMA and its board members to release the documents we have requested. Why weren't they releasing the documents, James? Well, because they're they're not advantageous to their side. And let's talk about what we found, because then okay. you'll find out why. You'll, they didn't want to give it to us because of what we found. Okay. So, All right. And I'm just going to hit the highlights here. Um, so... You're supposed to have a, a fair and impartial impartial process, right? Like an unbiased people looking at your this case and unbiased, right? Right, jury of your peers. Yeah, exactly. So, also, Martha Pergo is supposed to be apparently allegedly not involved in this since I filed the complaint on her, and she's not going to taint the process, right? So, when Martha, we have emails between we have all the intercommunications between ICMA regarding the case, right? So when Martha saw my vaccine email, she sent an email to Jessica Kowles saying, quote, and this is, this is sworn statements and sworn documents, right? So okay. these are, these, these are under, these were, were these deposits? No, these are actual, this is not a deposition this statement. Is this actual is an actual documents. document. Okay. Got you. I'm going to referencing both documents and sworn statements, okay. right? When she read my vaccine email, she emails Jessica Kowles and says, this guy is really unbelievable. When we deposed Mark Ott, he said, it's an unfortunate comment, one that shouldn't have been made. So when I called Jessica Cowless yeah. and had the conversation with her, Jessica admitted under oath that these are normal reactions by members, you know, when they're being told they're under ethics investigation. Miss Perego sent an email to Jessica Cowles. And now remember, Jessica is her direct report. Yes. Martha's her boss. Yes. So her boss sent her an email that said, quote, quote, someone that unprofessional doesn't need to be a part of ICMA. So are before you, – Are you kidding? So, okay, hold on a second. So before okay. an investigation has ever been started. conducted, ever started, Jessica's boss tells her, I should not be a part of ICMA. It doesn't – you don't need to read between the lines there. You can read the line. Right? I mean, there's no reason between the lines, James. Exactly. She's basically saying, get this guy. Her hands are all over this. So, in fact, she, Martha, was the one who made sure the vaccine mandate was a part of the censure, which later on in depositions. How do you know that? How do, is that was because that we, have, we have the emails and the documents. We have the emails and the documents. So, <sighs> so we also find out that we, we're, we're deposing everybody and – they all testify. I walked into the hearing. I remember my career's in the line, right? I got my wife yeah. and kids back at home. My career, my reputation's in the line. So I, I put my nice suit on. I put my tie on. I go there. Like, I just got to show them I'm professional, show them there's been a misunderstanding. And I believe at the time, like, I believe in process. I believe in a fair. It's going to work out for you. You think it's going to work yeah. out? Yeah. These are, these are managers. These are, these are, these people aren't dumb. They're smart people. We, uh, I walk into the room, I sit down quietly. And then I realize now from text messages received, and uh, I believe you have the text messages. I got one of them. I got one text yep. message between yep. Pam Pam Antill and uh, William Fraser. Yep. And the text message, I walk in and Bill Fraser says, he just looks like a douchebag. And Pam Antill says, he is. Calls me a douchebag. She agrees I look like a douchebag. And then he says... 
I just want to punch him in the face. I have never met these people. I have never spoken to these people. The only thing that those board members knew about me is what they learned from the staff reports about me. And through discovery and through depositions, we now know that statements that were made about me in those reports were false. When Jessica Cowles was deposed, we asked her, can you explain these statements you made and why you made them? And she responded, I don't know. I don't know. Wait, 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 wait. She's making statements in the report that the CPC committee members are using on which to judge whether or not to give you a censure. And when asked why those statements were made, she says she doesn't know why she made those statements. Correct. <laughs> you, and I, you and I know why they were made. Yes, yes, yes. I think we do know why they were made. That's incredible. I mean, that is just absolutely incredible. Joe, Joe, this is why we have to get this before a jury. We have to show the jury what they did behind the scenes to ruin my professional career. Absolutely. James, can you answer this question? When Jessica Cowles wrote the, wrote the staff report that was given to the CPC committee, did did she make an official recommendation on the censor, on the censure? How, do, how does a staff report work? What, do you know the kind of format or what can you say about that? Yes. Wow. And then under oath, she can't explain why she said what she said in the report or why she wrote what she wrote. Correct. Uh, wait, wait. And, and, th- and this is this is in a deposition. This is under this is sworn testimony under oath. But you're sworn. not you're not paraphrasing yes. anything. You're nope. telling me that this has been. Yep. So we asked her, like you said this, and we find out it's not true. So the long story short is this whole process was tainted from the day one. Oh, oh what's also important, and I this is the whole key, the big key of it is Jessica Cowles testifies under oath that she did absolutely no investigation. She never looked in to see if there was a vaccine mandate in Michigan. Wait, wait, what? Wait, wait. She also testified under oath that she believed that the Myosha case was about the city violating vaccine protocols, being cited for violating vaccine protocols. They had no idea what the Myosha case was about. Oh, wait, James, I'm, I'm, my mind is blown right now. Hold on, hold on. Jessica Cowles, her job is to do the investigation into the ethics complaint. That's what she, she's called you she, before and the other she two. She testified under oath. Letters, right? She testified under oath that she did no investigation, never looked in to see if the facts were true, and that it would have been a conflict if she did. What? Yeah. How? Mark, so the other th- key is we showed Mark Ott the text messages. We showed Mark Ott the emails. James, I'm sorry. I, 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 I'm sorry to step on here, bro. Yeah. She says that she, she did not do an investigation? Correct. How, what was what, – what was – this, how do you have a staff report to a CPC that then re- refers to you or they voted to censure you? What is the vote on? I don't understand. What do you mean? I, they, they, didn't, they just took it as, I don't know. There was no investigation. They never looked at the facts. When you say that she did not investigate, she didn't know the facts about the Myosha uh, in, uh, investigation, violation, all that stuff. This is stuff that's in the deposition 
and you're saying that it's in the deposition. Sworn. I want. I want to make sure this is very clear because yes. throughout this entire time, for the last eight months that I've been talking about this, James, people, you know, uh, William Fraser, for example, and others say, well, you know, there's two sides to every story. You, you got, you know, you're just hearing one side of the story from James. You're saying this is in a deposition, right? Yes, this is a deposition. They made it clear that the decision makers did not have any clear understanding what the facts or the issues were. In fact, it appears that no one actually researched the vaccine mandate issue in Michigan law. Kyle Les, the investigator, testified she did no investigation. Mark Ott testified that he expected her to do so, quote, as they always do. The CPC did not do any investigation either. They didn't refer it to MME for a fact-finding committee to find out what the facts were, something that they should have done. When Mark Ott was asked about this failing, he testified, quote, of course I'm concerned when the rules aren't followed. End quote. Of the 19 board members and sworn answers to interrogatories, two thirds of all the ISME board members who voted in my case didn't know the basics of the OSHA ETS. They had no knowledge of the OSHA ETS. They didn't know that it did not apply to state or municipal employees unless the state agency adopted it. They didn't know that OSHA ETS gave employers the option of not enforcing employees to be vaccinated, the testing option. And shockingly, even more than two-thirds, remember, these are municipal executives in positions of leadership, didn't know the U.S. Supreme Court had struck down this, uh, the OSHETS. James, this even, is... Even, <laughs> even Mark Ott and Ms. Kyle Lest and Ms. Ms. Pergo all testified they didn't know either. My what, they didn't know what part? Oh, the Supreme Court decision? Of all of it, the OSHETS. Even though my legal team told all of this in both writing and at my hearing... But unfortunately, most of them ignored it. James, this is this is this is reckless. This is reckless on the part of your peers. The executive board, the, the executive board, behave recklessly with negligence. This is shameful. And you know what, Jessica and Martha, they this is a personal vendetta that I've been arguing and, and, and I've been connecting the dots since the beginning because now I'm learning this stuff for the first time. You well, here's for you. Me. Jessica Cowles under oath testified that she thought Michigan had a vaccine mandate. She's not in the business to think. She's in the business to investigate and ascertain and make factual statements of truth. Well, I it appears that they had no understanding. So here's here's where we're at. Here's where we're at. And and here's the I still think there's value in ICMA. I'm not an anti-ICMA guy. The problem here is nobody knew the facts, right? Nobody knew what my options were. But more importantly, they never took the time to look into the facts. They never, took the, time, they never took the time to find out what was true. We showed Mark Ott my tweet. The one says, right, Whitmer? Yep. And we said, yeah. is there anything that lacks integrity or dishonest in there? He says, none. So... We have under oath Jessica, some of the CPP, the CPC chair, have all testified that other managers have made more egregious social media posts and more egregious listserv posts. Like one manager wrote, "Shut the f up" to another manager on the listserv. Someone also made a disparaging social media bark about disabled people. When we asked Mark Ott to explain the disparity over the treatment of me versus them, he testified, quote, I can't explain it. 
In the press release, they tied this to, quote, an integrity issue. We asked Mr. Ah if he could explain my social media post, how my social media post was an honesty or integrity issue, and he again said, I can't explain it. He testified that from his perspective, the social media post had nothing to do with, quote, honesty or integrity. The own CEO of ICMA cannot tell us what's wrong with those posts. A former city manager himself, by the way. Yes. So here's the thing. I, I want my I just want my name cleared. Uh, clearly a mistake has been made. They didn't know the facts. It's they not a, it's, is it a mistake though, James? Is it a mistake or is this a conspiracy that, to exercise a political personal vendetta? Because this is where I'm I'm very frustrated with the whole Martha Perego and Jessica Cowell's angle because to me this seems like a witch hunt to get you from Jump Street because so you embarrassed Martha from back in 2018 over her Twitter handle usage, and this to me was just ridiculous. Of course, that's what happened. Of course, I embarrassed her. The ethics guru got caught engaging in partisan activity. I embarrassed her. I sent out to listserv to my peers. She was embarrassed. And they immediately, immediately tied taking a letter I sent her and using it as an ethics complaint against me. Then when that didn't work, they tried sending a MME fact-finding committee to find something to charge me with, and they couldn't come up with anything. And now lastly, they wanted to portray me as unlawful because I told my staff I wouldn't force a vaccine mandate, which was my legal option to do. When we when we asked, you know, they tried running around like, well, he didn't have the authority. Well, yeah, I did under city charter. We told you that. We told you that. Well, you can't get out in front of your council. Well, the mayor and council sent you a letter saying they had my full support and stood by me. So... I, here's what I want. Here's what I want, well, Joe. But before I, before we get to before we yeah. get to that, because I, I think you're kind of you're getting towards your point. We want to wrap up. But I want to hit a few yeah. more points. Okay. Yeah. So so James, one of the things that's always bothered me about this process is that Martha Perego is the ethics guru, right? The person who's supposed to be the barometer or arbiter of what is ethical and what is not. Okay. Yeah. This is a question that's always bothered me, and I've never been able to get an answer. I don't know if you can help me out with this today. Did Martha Perego? and or Jessica Callis and or anybody else, whether it's Mark Ott, convey to the executive board before they voted on to the CPC, did they convey to the CPC or the executive board before they voted on your censures that you had had this run-in with Martha and that there was a, an inherent conflict of interest between the fact that you had called her out? And do you know anything about that? Because I yeah, they, was- they, were, they were aware of it. It's why Jessica in my phone call said, Martha has no role this. And it's why Mark Ott testified that Martha shouldn't have had a role in it. He was surprised to see the emails, surprised to learn that Martha's was had was actively involved in this. When you say he was surprised, what's the date that Mark Ott would have been surprised? I don't know. When, was this during the deposition? This is in his deposition. Timeline? What's in his the deposition. timeline on that? Uh, J- July. July, just a couple months ago? Yep. Okay. And in the meantime, Martha Prego's parachuted out of there on retirement, right? basically right when that hap- this deposition happened and yep. Jessica Callis has been pro- Jessica Callis has been promoted to the position so even though he's aware that she uh, well I'm, I'm assuming he's aware this is a deposition that's their their they're the defendant yep I'm gonna release that phone call that you had that you recorded with her that 28 minute phone call where you're saying that what you discussed in that phone call was not conveyed properly in the report that she sent to the CPC committee when they voted on your censure correct Yep. 
Okay. The most, the most frustrating part about this, Joe, is like, we put, like, they claim they didn't know anything about the OCTS. They didn't know anything about the Supreme Court. They didn't know anything about the vaccine mandate in Michigan. The problem is we told them. We wrote them an 11-page document with all the exhibits showing them that I had the authority, did, that did I had you, the option. I had the did, option to test. They never looked into it. And so, again, Joe. Yeah, but James, it's because it, it got in the way of their predetermined outcome of what they wanted to have. And that's what happened. I mean, they, they I, wanted I to they wanted I, avoid I completely agree. Yeah. I completely agree. This was about destroying a man's career. This is about making me look unlawful making me look like I'm dishonest and lacks integrity. And so I've never wanted to sue anyone in my life. I, I'm just, I'm not a litigious person. I've never sued anyone, but I, I need to clear my name so that I can continue to get a job and take care of my, my two kids and my wife. Um, and I just, I just want, I want ICMA to retract this, get this off your website. They know that whatever the ICMA is, they know the facts now. They know well, that there was the whole, no vaccine. The whole, the whole city management community is going to know the facts now. Yeah, and, the, you know, my, my so challenge why, would be to why hey, go. That, why is that still on their website? Why have they not said, hey, we made a mistake. You know, we now know that there was no vaccine mandate, that Mr. Freed had the legal authority to do what he did. We now know that our ethics advisor or our ethics director who had bad blood should not have been involved and actively was in steering the pro- process. That's all I'm asking for. And so I'm left with no other option but a judicial decision. And we're going to go to jury trial. We're going to put these folks on airplanes. We're going to bring them into Michigan. And they're going to be seated before the jury of American people. And I'm going to expose what they did to us. Much more detail here. There's documents and, and stuff I can't share here that we will share with the jury and the judge. We will expose what they did to me, the ugliness of it the nastiness and the ugliness of it to destroy somebody intentionally, the the reckless disregard for the facts of what really was going on and what really we had the authority to do. Uh, and then I'm going to ask the American people to render a verdict, to clear my name, to tell the world that I did not lack honesty and integrity, that I acted lawfully so that I can take care of my two little girls and my wife. That's what I'm going to do. James, you know, this podcast is going to be released the, the week of or the week right here, the week before the ICMA conference in Austin, right? Thousands of city managers and other ICMA members are going to get together in Austin where the where Mark Ott, the CEO, lives. They're going to be engaged in different types of webinars, seminars, all that stuff, networking. What would you like to tell the ICMA members that are attending that conference? Would you like to tell them anything or recommend they do anything? Yeah. Um just imagine if this was you. Just imagine somebody who asks, who points out, hey, I think there's a problem here. We should address it. And then gets the target. And, you know, I couldn't help but see what Bill Frazier wrote. Oh, there's more to this story. Oh, there is. Oh, there is. And we're going to share that with the jury. Here's the thing. We have to fix this. I still believe that ICMA has value. Remember, ICMA is composed of 13,000 city managers. And I'm one of those guys that I honestly believe 99.9% of all city managers are good, decent, hardworking men and women who just want to do what's right and ethical. They're good people. I mean, I meet city managers all over the, all over the state and country. Um, they're all good people. I just They're tremendous people. They're public servants. They're, they have that servant leadership heart. They're good people. 
And good people need to stand up and say, we need to fix this and we need to make this right. I hear what you're saying and I don't disagree because I think we have a lot of great people in this profession, a lot of great, our peers. I think, I think some of the, I think, I don't think the ICMA board is bad people. I think for all and about the ones I met seem like good people who didn't have the facts or the proper information to make a decision. What do you say though, to the city managers out there who, cause I've posted about this now for months, right? They will say something to the effect of, well, the, I, I need to hear ICMA side of the story, or there's gotta be, there's two sides to every story. What is your rebuttal to that? Uh, I've seen the ICMA side of the story. That's the press release. Which law did I break? The tweet, the confidential email to a colleague, Go Google all the public censures. There is no, there is no other side. This is it. The facts are the facts, and we will have a jury render a decision. And I'm not stopping until I get to a trial. This will go before a trial. I don't think it's going to go. I don't think. The, I don't think the IC. Well, I don't know. You, we're going. We're going to trial. We're going to go to trial, and we're going to have the American people render a verdict. Well, you need to get your name cleared. Uh, I'm not going to rehash the Daniel Rosemont interview because he went through a wrongful termination with Hallandale Beach, but you need to get your name cleared. You need to get your reputation back, and I hope you're successful. I will tell you that I find it a little disconcerting that in your case, I'm the only person that's been publicly out there supporting your case. Yeah, but they're afraid to. But I've had people call. I mean, I I can't express to you the humiliation and emotional stress this has caused on me and my family. You know what I mean? This is just like dogging me now for over a year. I hear you, James, but I don't want, I, we can't, I'm not going to let our peers off the hook because here's the thing. We are chief executive officers of public sector organizations. And I understand that there's fear of speaking out and coming to bat for you and, 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 and defending you, but our peers need to stand up and defend each other when they're being wrong. And they have an obligation to find out the facts. And I, I just, you know, it troubles me greatly. I, I don't want to beat that drum too much, but I would hope that the ICMA members who are listening to this podcast will start asking some hard questions of the executive board and the CEO and the staff, ICMA staff, when it comes to this entire situation. And, you know, uh, William Frazier, we talked about, you alluded to it. He commented today on my uh, LinkedIn post. And again, he has he has he apologized to you? No. No? I mean, I, I, well, James, hey, we're going to wrap up here. I appreciate the time. I got to tell you, it's been an honor and I'm very proud of the fact that I've been able to go to bat for you publicly on this. I think what you've gone through is a living hell and I think it's unacceptable. And I hope that when the time comes, you get justice in a court of law and that your reputation can be restored. And I really appreciate you being on the show today. Yep. And I appreciate my my friends, my family, my colleagues who have emailed me, people who recognize this is wrong and uh, really appreciate my mayor and council. I mean, this goes back to you govern with honesty and integrity and you, you live your life the way you should and your mayor and council will recognize that for the most part. Thank you, James. Hey, uh, good luck with everything. I'm sure we'll be in uh, further communication and maybe we can have you on the show again at a later date as the uh, case progresses. All right, appreciate it, man. Well, that's going to do it for me today. But before I say goodbye, I would like to kindly ask each of you who are listening, if you value this content, if you enjoy what I'm putting out there, please understand it takes a tremendous amount of time on my part. It's a big commitment. And uh, your positive rating and review, uh, following and subscribing the podcast, helping the listenership grow, it's greatly appreciated. You know, I put my neck on the line quite a bit. I take a lot of risk with my posts and with these podcasts when I criticize recruiters and I criticize the ICMA and so forth and so on. 
Um, so I would greatly appreciate it if you support what I'm doing. Please take a moment to uh, leave a rating and a review. It would mean a lot to me. Uh, with that said, I'm Joe Turner, host of the City Manager Unfiltered podcast. And until next time, see you later.